today on Ag News Daily. These guys, these suppliers are taking big, huge position risk and they don't want to do it this year. Uh, I think the days of expecting to walk in the door, say, here's my check. Let me go see my fertilizer. It may not be sitting there. We need to have that conversation beforehand so they can build a plan. We need to be working together to smooth this thing out as much as possible. Good morning, listeners. This is Friday, December 9th, Ag News Daily Edition. Tanner Winterhoff and Delaney here together on an episode that is brought to you by Mystic Lubricants. For a look at their full line of excellent products, visit them at mysticlubes.com. That is M-Y-S-T-I-K lubes.com. Delaney, you said before we started that it's not a pretty day outside. No, it certainly isn't. It wasn't too bad driving home yesterday from Omaha. Raining for sure, but nothing cold enough to freeze yet. Today, it's quite gloomy and overcast. You can't see very far, low visibility. And I haven't been outside yet, but I'm going to wager to say it's probably pretty cold outside, Tanner, as we are getting ready to see some winter storm action this weekend. Yeah, I watched the girls walk out to the bus, and at least it didn't look like they were slipping on any ice. So uh, very thankful for that, but wet. The northern port of our state is still in a winter storm warning along with Minnesota. So up there on that northern border, a mix of snow and ice is expected to continue to happen with a potential of an inch of snow. And as we look further, further into the weekend, there are still winter weather advisories issued for South Dakota all the way over to Lake Michigan. So we'll continue to keep an eye on that, Blaney. I wanted to update our listeners on the storm that was brewing in the Atlantic Ocean. So as of 2.50 a.m. this morning, the system now has a very low chance, less than 30% of becoming a subtropical development today. It has been pushed northeastward towards colder waters. So the development there and having a named storm in December is now becoming less and less likely. So that's good news. Yeah, I'm also thinking it's pretty good news because I'm looking at the radar right now, Tanner, and where we're at here in central Iowa, we just missed the snow yesterday as that big storm was sweeping through. We got the rain side of it, but it's interesting as you look at the radar, it's kind of split 50-50 about the northern half is snow And the southern half of the big storm that's sweeping through the Midwest right now is rain. So we got a little lucky compared to our neighbors to the north. But, you know, it's interesting. I was talking to a few different growers this week from various locations. But Nebraska is really kind of the one that stood out to me, Tanner, that, you know, we talk about a crop failure every year. The past couple of years, it seemed like. And they said, you know, if we really don't see rainfall or snow coverage this year, they think they were in just north of Omaha. Uh, they think that this is going to be the year that we see some sort of major crop failure. Subsoil moisture is not there. Soil moisture is not there. So they could certainly use some additional snow coverage and rainfall this winter season. Yeah, there was quite a few sentiments about how dry we are. We were discussing, I uh, had a phone call on the drive back from the conference with a farmer in Illinois saying the same thing that watched it had about a tenth of an inch of rain as we were discussing and wished it was an inch. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And we could also use that rain as we continue to see the Mississippi River seeing low water levels, although they're slowly trending toward improved levels. Finally, Tanner, we're going to see the Army Corps of Engineers 
step in here during the winter months and hopefully do some dredging to get things back up and running. Although, you know, with winter weather, they only have a limited time to work as well. But even with some recent improvement, there is still quite a bit of dryness in the southwest portion of Kansas, southeast Nebraska, northern Iowa and southern Minnesota, as well as portions of the Ohio River Valley. The eastern Midwest should see notable increase in moisture here as that storm sweeps through, but the plains certainly could use some of that precipitation as well. It's interesting when you look at the total precipitation ranks by different districts within each state for the end of August through beginning of December, we certainly see in those areas I mentioned there some extremely dry areas, uh, some of them being almost the wettest that we've seen in 130 years and some of them the driest that we've seen in 130 years, Tanner. So definitely a wide variety of yeah, mm -hmm, extreme wetness and extreme dryness. We've got both ends of the spectrum. Absolutely. Uh, We have right now though, a Keystone pipeline that has been shut off. The Keystone pipeline has been shut off after a 14 estimated 14,000 barrel oil spill in Kansas. So yesterday, Canada's TC Energy shut off the pipeline in the United States after 14,000 barrels of crude oil spilled into a creek in Kansas, making it one of the largest crude spills in the United States in nearly a decade. The cause of the leak is unknown. It occurred in Kansas about 20 miles south of Key Junction in Steel City. Um, it is the third spill of a several thousand barrels of crude from that pipeline since it first opened in 2010. The 6,222,000, yeah, 622,000 barrel per day Keystone pipeline is obviously critical to shipping heavy Canadian crude from Alberta to the U.S. refineries, but it has now been shut off. They say in this area, Delaney, there's been no effects on the drinking water or wells to the public. The U.S. Protection, Environmental Protection Agency is going to continue to watch and monitor this process through the surface water of Mill Creek. They will continue to supervise this as well. TC had mobilized over 100 people to respond to the spill, and the EPA has dispatched two coordinators to make sure the cleanup is done efficiently, effectively, and within their guidelines. It'll be interesting to find out what the cause of this spill is, Delaney, so that way they can continue to improve the technology related to these pipelines. Of course, this is also now drawing lots of attention from those that oppose new pipelines because there's been several projects in the work, works not only for crude, but also for natural gas, for carbon, and uh, those permits that are waiting to be issued are now going to face an uphill battle with these latest headlines. Well, Tanner, speaking of improved technology, CNH Industrial released their first ever autonomous vehicle as well as alternative fuel and electric electrification vehicles. That's a tough word for me to say this morning. But as we look at the future of what ag machinery looks like, they released four different machines that illustrate what the company has been working on here over the past couple of years. They specifically focused on autonomy, alternative fuel options, and electrification. With industry firsts, we saw the Case IH Trident 
5550 applicator with Raven Autonomy Autonomous Spreader, the New Holland T7 Methane Power LNG or Liquefied Natural Gas Tractor, as well as a New Holland T6 Methane Power using Compressed Natural Gas Tractor, and finally, the New Holland Electric Power. It's a 100% electric utility tractor with autonomous features. Tanner, a lot of these things, I'm not even sure I fully understand yet, but their tech day yesterday in Arizona released these four exciting new pieces of technology for agriculture. And that was an interesting article to take a look at. You know, all the way down at the bottom, I picked up that their projections for an annual growth rate in business because of these new technologies will be 10 to 15%. Over the next two to three years, they're estimating that near nearly $1 billion boost in net income to their 2023 sales related to this new precision ag. So that's quite a feat that uh, these new technologies are going to take such a large bite out of our equipment market. But before we get into my next story, let's take a break here for a message from our sponsor today. Since 1922, Mystic Lubricants has been providing superior performance and protection for farmers who demand the most out of their equipment. Today, Mystic continues to develop products in real-world conditions that are specially formulated to meet the unique demands of your specialized machines. They provide advanced protection for engine longevity and are the choice of people who make a living working the land. Learn more about Mystic products at mysticlubes.com. That's M-Y-S-T-I-K lubes.com. We got word yesterday, Delaney, that Arizona Senator Kirsten Sinema has announced she's leaving the Democratic Party as a registered independent now moving forward. Stated that she has registered as an Arizona independent and knows that that might come as a surprise to a lot of the people in her state. But actually, according to her, it makes a lot of sense. She says she's never fit into any specific party box, Delaney. But as we reported earlier this week, the governor or the Georgia race runoff having been finalized, put the Democrats at a majority in the Senate. This is stating that right now there are independents that could help bring that back to a level playing field. However, most analysts, as you look at this headline and read various articles, state That is not going to change her voting affiliation and the party in which she will caucus with. So they're still anticipated to be that narrow 51-49 majority for the Democrats, as they now will have three independents voting alongside them. But it does provide a little bit more of an opportunity for those bills that are closer to bipartisan to take a Republican slant if those independents are willing to vote Republican. But I thought that was quite interesting post election that a party affiliation was switched. Not a substantial move, obviously, just to an independent side of things, but uh, it'll be interesting to see going forward if she continues to caucus with the Democratic Party. It certainly will be indeed, Tanner. Another interesting thing here is an industry we don't watch super closely on the Ag News Daily podcast, I'll admit, but potato retail sales have soared for the months of July through September. We saw retail potato sales increased in dollar sales by 17.8%, but actually decreased in the volume of sales sold, Tanner, by 2.1%. 
This is looking really here at the last five years. The average consumer price per pound of potatoes has increased in each year with the high at $2.35 for the past quarter. Of course, part of this notably is due to inflation and the cost of all goods rising, but consumers still find potatoes to be an affordable product as far as stretching your dollar a little further. And we've seen here over the last couple of years in particular, as we, you know, think about COVID, uh, we definitely saw increased potato sales that year. So that really kind of kickstarted the trend, but we're certainly seeing 2022 be the highest that we've seen in potato sales from a dollar perspective since 2018. It's kind of interesting. I'm, I usually eat potatoes at least maybe once a day. It seems like Tanner, I'm a meat and potatoes kind of person. So. Yeah, we hadn't reported on potatoes for quite a while. It, uh, is certainly a crop that I enjoy growing in a garden, but don't know a lot about growing commercially. So it'd be interesting to uh, get in contact with someone to talk about that. But as you talk potatoes, what are potatoes without butter? Land of Lakes official is coming out and stating that there are the myth of a butter shortage is out there. They're planning to debunk that. The leading butter supplier, Land of Lakes, Executive Heather Anfang came out and suggested that the holiday butter shortage headlines are false. There are less inventory this year as the industry had than butter last year at this time, but last year levels were higher than normal. So that sparked maybe some media headlines going around that there is a shortage. However, they stated that Land Lakes and everybody in the industry prepares for this season all year long, obviously baking season Delaney. So Heather stated to Brownfield News that they're not going to have any issues finding butter on the shelves this cooking season. So I went one step further, Delaney, and wanted to look up the USDA data around butter in cold storage, as we see here. And if I go back to 2019, levels were lower than they had been. However, when you look at 2022, the levels in 21 and 20 were significantly higher. So I could see where the news pulled these headlines from. For example, we're talking millions of pounds. If you looked at November inventories in 20, the inventories were just shy of 250 million pounds. In 21, they were just shy of 215 million pounds. While in 2019, they were at 180 million pounds. But we here sitting in 2022 are coming in at just under 200 million. So lower than 2021 and 20, but still higher than 19. And I don't remember seeing headlines ever of a butter shortage. So we should be all right. Yeah, I'm just thinking I need to stock up before the holiday baking season starts. Oh, don't go toilet paper on us and start buying out all the butter. <laughs> well, that's true. That's kind of what happens, it seems like, when you, we report on headlines like this. Absolutely. But that's what I've got for news today. I have just one final quick piece of news here as we look at na the National Sorghum Yield Contest winners. Southwest Kansas Grower earned this year's award with a total bushel per acre of 245.8 bushels per acre growing sorghum. That is just four more bushels, I believe, than the goal last year. The winners this year were Brant and Amy Peterson, who operate in Johnson, Kansas. 
And even with a lot of dry weather this year, Tanner, they were able to produce a record yield. So this is their second year entering the contest and their first as a national title winner. So congratulations to them. And Delaney, now that we've got the WASD information, let's see where markets ended up reacting to today. Well, Tanner, as we take a quick look here at today's WASD report, the focus really starts to shift from U.S. production to a global production standpoint, largely uh, due to the fact that the U.S. harvest is over and we typically see any sort of yield adjustments or production adjustments made um, either in the November or in the January report. So today's numbers were a little bit of a snoozer here when we look at U.S. ending stocks. They came in at a 1.257 for corn, which was right in line with trade expectations. Came in just slightly than November's report. Soybeans came right in line with, actually, yeah, right in line with expectations. They remained the same compared to November's report at a 0.22 million metric tons. When we look at world ending stocks, we saw December's numbers come in just slightly lower at a 298.4 compared to 300.76 million metric tons noted in November. And soybeans stayed right at the same, pretty much right at the same here level that we saw in November at a 102.71 million metric tons. So when we look at any sort of noticeable numbers here from this month's WASD report, we did see South American production numbers come in as well. For December, the average trade range was 53.54 million metric tons. We came in just slightly below the trade average, or excuse me, slightly above the trade average at 55 million metric tons. That remained the same, so they did not make any sort of adjustment cuts yet to South American corn production in Argentina or Brazil, even though we have seen worsening drought conditions. On the sweeping side of the balance sheet here, we saw once again, no adjustments made to soybean production in either Argentina or Brazil on this month's WASD report. So when we take a look at markets today and how they are trading post WASD report, we are seeing just like positivity here as things came in mostly in line with trade expectations, if not mm, fairly neutral report overall. March corn came in and is trading currently at two and a half cents right after the open of the WASD here, or right after the drop of the WASD, I should say, at 6.45. January soybeans up just three quarters of a cent at 14.87. March Chicago wheat down five and a quarter cent at 7.41. And March hard red winter wheat down three and three quarters cents at 8.40. When we flip over to look at the livestock markets here at the midday, we are seeing some mostly positive trade action in the cattle complex. February live cattle is up $1.30 at the midday at $155.22. And March feeders down seven pennies at a buck eighty-four ninety-seven. Lastly, the February lean hog contract down about 90 cents here at the midday at $83.80. Tanner, without further ado, let's kick it over to my conversation to talk fertile to talk fertilizer with Josh Lindvall. Well, as fertilizer headlines continue to bog what we talk about here on the Ag News Daily Podcast, we're joined today once again by the 
vice president of fertilizer, Josh Linville with StoneX. Josh, I almost got your title wrong, but excited to talk to you again today. Hey, that's okay. A title's just a title. As long as the paycheck actually cashes every every other week, I'm happy go lucky. <laughs> well, I think that's a good segue to talk about farmers' paychecks here in 2023. Harvest is almost done, so hopefully we're going to see some folks getting some fall field work done. But for those that wait until spring or for those that are waiting to see, should I be buying fertilizer for next year or purchasing it now? What are your thoughts? This is not a one-size-fits-all answer, and I wish I had that silver bullet to just knock everybody down at the same time, but that's not the case. Uh, there's going to be a lot of difference in balance sheets out there this year. There's a lot of corn states that are going to sit there and say, well, of course I'm going to pour the coals to the fire in terms of fertilizer. It, it makes perfect sense, and for them it does. There's going to be some fringe acres that are going to sit there and say, well, I don't know that it makes a whole lot of sense. It doesn't make money. I don't know that I want to do anything, and that's their right call. I think at the end of the day, we need to continue to push forward and know our economics better than we ever have. Uh, and then when we start to make decisions, we can't just do one side or the other. I look at farming as manufacturing. We want to do the least number of inputs for the most number of outputs. We're doing the same thing. It's fertilizer in, grain out. It's chemical in, grain out. If we just buy the fertilizer and we leave that grain to chance on the other side, volatility could kill us. It could hurt, help us, but it could really, really hurt us. Same thing we sell the grain and we don't buy the fertilizer. Fertilizers can skyrocket. With the amount of volatility we continue to expect going forward, I think we need to continue to look locking up at both sides of it, knowing that when we lock that up, it's profitable. You're going to love this question because people that deal with commodities or inputs always love to get asked the question, when are prices going up or down? And we have started to see fertilizer prices on most of the major eight fertilizers have started to at least plateau or in some instances decline month over month. What's your future outlook here for those eight major fertilizers? Yeah, so I focus on the main three, uh, nitrogen, phosphate, and potash. And I can tell you phosphate and potash, we've actually seen global prices slide almost every week since late March, early April when they topped out. And now a lot of the audience is probably sitting there saying, well, that's BS. I haven't seen my price drop. I, you, you must be full of it. Well, the problem is that's a world price. Logistics have been a huge, huge struggle. You know, we're talking about a rail strike. We're talking about river situation. We're talking about not having enough trucks. What we have started to see is that, yes, the, the Gulf of Mexico price might be dropping, but we're seeing that logistical price go up significantly. So it actually is holding steady, if not pushing higher. That's some of the frustration, but that's some of the reason of why we're not seeing it. Nitrogen, uh, urea has actually been falling here recently. Uh, some disappointment in the world market, a little bit more supply than people expected with Europe turning back on. But as we move into Q1 period, that is our heavy global demand period. That's when the North America needs to start buying. Europe needs to replace lost tons. Australia, India, Brazil. There's a lot of competition for a limited amount of tons. I think we're going to see some support by the time we start getting into January, February. But there are, as you mentioned, a lot of global issues that could impact the availability of fertilizer this year. Do you think we're going to see a shortfall, maybe not in the U.S., but elsewhere in the world? I think it's possible uh, when you start looking at some of the major exporting countries out there. China is a big one. Well, China the government has been stepping in. You know, last fall they shut down nitrogen and phosphate exports to keep it at home, lower the domestic price, make sure there's enough supply. Russia, they continue. You look at how close we were to World War III with those two missiles that dropped into Poland. If all of a sudden we got in that situation, Russian exports could completely drop off the face of the earth, and they're a major uh, provider. European production rates could fall once again if natural gas starts to rise. So, yeah. There is a lot of danger points that are out there. Um, unfortunately, the story for this season is nowhere near told yet. 
So with all of those different factors considered, we've seen, like you said, maybe the price itself has gone down, but logistics and costs have not. In 2023, assuming we do see any sort of those, I guess maybe it would be a black swan event. Maybe it would just be continued frustration or continued exacerbation of logistics. Do prices go back up? I think they could. Um, you know, prices don't go down forever. They don't go up forever. But yeah, I think that the way that phosphate and potash has been dropping, I think eventually the demand will come. Uh, we kind of expected fall to be a disappointment for both of those two. Obviously, that demand is a little bit variable. Uh, farmers can scale back on their application rates and they can mine the soil. But we also saw them delaying. With the prices as high as it is and the direction they've seen globally, we thought fall guys would even switch over to spring. Well, the problem with that is that really helps for the fall. It helps lower the price idea. But guess where that demand goes? Now it's on top of spring. Now it's that much more pressure on logistics. I think we need to be watching very, very closely uh, spring numbers. We need to have a lot of conversations with our supplier as we start talking about those spring needs. So I've got a lot of questions. I feel like that just were sparked from that comment. Uh, first question is we focus a lot on the commodity markets. So I understand the very cyclical nature of commodities. They're in periods of time where we see high demand and high prices. We're in that you know cycle right now. Does fertilizer follow that same cyclical pattern? Absolutely, it does. Uh, nitrogen's a great example. Uh, prices started to move up out of their lows back in summer 2020. Uh, that's when the cycle started upwards, and it's kind of held high. Yeah, we've seen variability. We've seen volatility, but it stayed at a higher rate. Well, that low period lasted for about five years. Now, when we look at forward demand and we look at forward supply, unfortunately, a nitrogen facility takes a lot of money and it takes a long time to build. So we have a pretty good idea of what's getting built between now and 2025. We also know kind of an idea of what global demand looks like. By the time we get to 2025, global demand is almost the exact same as kind of normal operating capacity of nitrogen. So this high price cycle is going to last, we believe, at least until 2025, if not longer. My other question that was sparked by that was uh, the conversation of acreage, which it's sometimes hard to fathom that we're already talking about acreage for 2023 because we're still not quite wrapped up with harvest here for 2022. But if we do see prices start to swing back the other direction, or even if we don't, what do you expect to see for corn acres this year? Do you think we'll see growers move away from that? It's a possibility. I, I can tell you, it's. We actually started talking about you know 2023 corn acres probably about three months ago. I know I threw a question on Twitter and I had a lot of people say, "Are you insane? We're not even harvesting this year's crop yet." But unfortunately, we were starting a new fertilizer year. Fertilizer goes from July one until June thirty. So in order to build our demand models, we had to have an idea of what corn acres look like. We started with ninety million acres for 2023. We moved that up to ninety two, and now we sit at ninety three. That uh, we've got several people sitting there saying it's still too low. It's going to be ninety five, ninety. But we like to start from a conservative nature and then build into it. But, yeah, you know, if all of a sudden we see corn prices, we can slip easily. Uh, Corn prices start to rally. We can see it build. And that's the problem with it. These numbers move all the time, especially this far out. So you're kind of taking shots. You just got to say one day, this is the number we're using. And if we need to, we'll change it later on. Josh, we touched on a lot of different issues here. But are there any other headlines or maybe potential headlines coming down the pipeline that our farmers should be aware of? I think it's really going to be the logistical side. Um, you know, we've talked about the barge situation. Unfortunately, we've seen some rains that have come through the Midwest, and that helps give a little bit of a surge to river flows, but it doesn't heal it. When you think about where we need the rainfall to happen, it needs to be that northern plains, Canada, and work that stuff south. Well, what comes as rain this time of year? It's snow. It's ice. That's something we don't see help the river system until probably next spring. 
Um, hopefully we'll get enough rains to kind of help piecemeal it all the way through next spring where the healing starts to come or hopefully does. But that's something I don't think goes away for a while. The rail strike, uh, you know, they extended that out for a couple of weeks past Thanksgiving. But again, that's something we need to watch. We lose the rail system. We're in deep, deep trouble. And trucks are always a problem. Um, I think this year the biggest thing we can give as far as advice to the farm gate, you need to be talking to your supplier, whether that's co-op, retailer, and it doesn't matter. We need to be having more conversations. And I grew up on a family farm. I know you don't want to give information because you give them more information, they can use it against you. And we've learned not to do that. These guys, these suppliers, are taking big, huge position risk, and they don't want to do it this year. Uh, I think the days of expecting to walk in the door, say, here's my check, let me go see my fertilizer, it may not be sitting there. We need to have that conversation beforehand so they can build a plan. We need to be working together to smooth this thing out as much as possible. I just think back to 2019 when we had a lot of the flooding, and I think it was a similar situation of folks not communicating with their retailers what their needs were. They walk in, and there's no longer those inputs available. So it sounds like it could be a reverse situation because obviously low river levels, but reverse situation here for 2023. Yes, absolutely. And that's the thing. A lot The, the fertilizer market has cried wolf a lot. Uh, we've always talked about if this happens, we won't have enough. And if that happens, there won't be enough. And it never transpires. It never happens. And everybody's like, okay, whatever. It's just a talking point to get me to buy something. Well, the thing is, and this is a kind of the analogy I use, the fertilizer market is kind of like a duck going across the water. And the farm gate sees it from above the water. And that duck is just gliding. I mean, barely awake in its path. But from the supply side, underneath the water, we look up, and that duck is just kicking like heck to get from point A to point B. The farm doesn't see all the stuff that goes into trying to move that product around where it needs to go. So that's the thing we need to appreciate. And I'm not saying you have to, you know, be like, oh, my gosh, thank you so much for selling me. I'm not saying that. But I mean, it, there needs to be an appreciation for it. And this year, it's more important than ever. Fantastic. Josh, I know you have a couple of resources that you put out there. Your Twitter is one of those great places for folks to follow the headline tweets. But tell us some of the other resources that you put out there for farmers. Yeah, I try and do the Twitter thing at least once a day uh, throughout the week, just trying to give a little bit of information, give everybody some guidance. Because, again, fertilizer information, unbiased, is very hard to come by. Uh, the other thing that we do is we put out a monthly farmer newsletter, and it tries to go into more detail as far as what's going on, what has happened, what do we expect to see. Um, you can go out to the StoneX website. I've always Googled to find the address. I farmer the uh, farmer fertilizer newsletter, StoneX. And it pops up. It's a registration. Uh, but try and put information out there. If something happens mid-month, we try and put out kind of a mid-month thing. Say, hey, keep eyes on this. But, you know, again, it's fertilizer is the highest cost input per acre. And it's the hardest thing to find information. We're trying to lift the covers on that. Absolutely. And, folks, Josh's Twitter handle is at Fert. That's L-I-N-V-I-L-L-E. Josh, thank you again for joining today. Certainly appreciate your time. Absolutely. Good seeing you. Well, Tanner, uh, that was my conversation with Josh Linville of StoneX there chatting fertilizer at the NAFB convention. But of course, as he mentioned there, you can also follow along with him on Twitter. That's how I get my most updated information when it comes to the fertilizer space. And folks, he is at Fert on Twitter. Absolutely. Appreciate him coming and having a conversation with us listeners. We appreciate you hanging out with us each day. Have yourselves a good weekend, but for today, what do you say? Should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go.